Mana 3 Media. Okay, look, we're all fascinated by other people's stories. People we know, complete strangers. It makes no difference to us. We're here for it. We love to consume other people's stories. But if they can move us, ah, now that's the stuff. To keep a moving story both alive and celebrated. This is Story Preserve. Welcome to Stories from the Grove, a series that shares a more in-depth look at some of the stories featured in our full-length documentary, The Grove, about one church in a small town that dared to believe that love is love. In this episode, Pastor Ray Waters, featured in The Grove documentary, offers expert insights. Pastor Ray is the founder of The Village and Everybody Church in Atlanta, Georgia. At one point in the documentary, he simply states, if the church doesn't get this, the church is going to become irrelevant to this generation. We hope you enjoy Friend of the Grove, Pastor Ray Waters. I'm Ray Waters. I pastor The Village Church in Atlanta. I actually started The Village Church 28 years ago. Before that, I was a Southern Baptist pastor of three churches. And uh, I'm now in my 40th year of ministry and uh, love being at The Village. Oh, when I think about The Village and acknowledging the LGBTQ community, uh, when we started the church, we always have been a very loving, uh, open congregation, but we just didn't talk about it. You know, the church was in the suburbs. Um, I had gay friends and I just never talked about it in church. I remember we have we have a couple still in our church, but early in our church's life, their names are Joe and Jim. And uh, I remember that they would have their anniversary. And because I was their friend, I knew it was their anniversary, but I wouldn't say anything about it from the platform. And I'm not even sure if they wanted me to say anything about it. But it began to really bother me after several years that if Bob and Carol were celebrating their third anniversary, we seemed to make a big deal about it. And Joe and Jim were celebrating their 27th anniversary and we didn't make a big deal about it. I didn't know how that was supposed to fit together. It was, it was confusing to me. And I guess I just thought it was how it was going to be. But then early 2000s, I began to go through a period where I began to understand the scriptures maybe a little differently. Um, I, I grew up Southern Baptist, went to Southern Baptist University, went to Southern Baptist graduate school. And so we kind of believed it was God's inerrant word and it was spoken directly from God. And I began to read a little broader, began to think a little bit broader, I think about it, and began to realize that the Bible really was a book written by men about God, of course, about God, and has incredible value to us. It's the, uh, Stan Mitchell calls it the uh, travel diary of our spiritual ancestors. And so I began to think about it more that way, that these were men who were wrestling with their own thoughts and they were thinking about God in their context, but they didn't know LGBT in the context that we understand it today. And so I guess that's what really happened. Early 2000s, went through a period of changing my mind about how some of the verses should be interpreted, how the Bible should, what role it should play in social issues and in the inclusion of all people. And I just started talking about gay people from the platform. I began to acknowledge their relationships. And our church had always been taught, if we, if we were guilty of anything, it was we were just a loving 
church. We've said for 30 years, 28 years, we do the loving, God does the judging. We do the loving, God does the judging. So there wasn't a real judgmental attitude in our congregation ever. And then I think when I started just acknowledging the LGBT community that was here, everybody just kind of accepted it. It just felt normal and natural. And then there have been sermons from time to time where I've talked about how we understand at the village, how we understand the LGBT community and how we are not inviting them to our table. That's really arrogant, but we are actually all sitting at the Lord's table and we all get to do that together, but it's no hierarchical, uh, I'm better than you because I'm heterosexual. It's nothing like that. And uh, truthfully, our best people in our church are people in our LGBT community. They are the most wonderful followers of Christ I have ever met. Um, I put them up the very top. I, I wanted to share something on my phone. Um, I was thinking back about when we first began to really be inclusive in our language and really began to go out of our way to never um, talk past anyone who maybe had different orientation. And I got a letter. I was in California and uh, visiting my sister, and I got a letter from a young lady. And this is, this is the letter. I was able to put it on my phone for this. She wrote, hi, my name is Shantae, and I wanted to reach out to you as I found your church online and was hoping to learn a little more about your congregation. My family and I have been searching for a church for some time now, and we found it difficult to find the right fit. We are a two-mom family, and we have a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. Having grown up in a traditional Lutheran church, we found that our family has not been welcome or accepted there. This has been gut-wrenching as we simply want our children to learn the love and acceptance that we felt as children in a loving church environment. Above all else, I never want my children to be made to feel ashamed about their family. My partner Crystal and I's biggest fear is that we would visit a church that would disparage the type of home my children are growing up in. Thank you for taking the time to hear my thoughts, concerns, and questions. Please let me know if your church is a safe place for Emma, Zach, Crystal, and me. I look forward to hearing back from you. I began to get letters like that, and I wrote her back as soon as I read the letter, and I said, oh, Shantae, please know that you'll be welcome in our place. And uh, they actually came, and now it's been 12 years I did their wedding. They are two of my wife and I's best friends. Uh, we hang out, and it's all because she wrote that letter, and I was able to say we're a fully inclusive church. One of the things that really spurred me to, to want to do something was I watched a documentary, um, One Punk Under God. It was about Jay Baker. And Jay, you know, Jim and Tammy Face son, uh, Jay had a ministry, kind of an unusual inner city ministry. He said he was wrestling about inclusion. I've been thinking about all these things that he's talking about, but I'm still under the radar. I'm not really saying anything. I have a lot of gay friends, but church is church, and I just didn't really talk about it. Jay said, this was Martin Luther King's quote, in the end... We will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And I remember watching that, and I remember tears welling up in my eyes, 
because I thought, that's me. I say I'm supportive and I love these people, but I am being silent. And I remember telling my wife, I don't know where this is going to end, but I can't be silent anymore. And uh, that's when we started the very next Sunday. We started just being more acknowledging of of people and not uh, we never saw them as different. We just said we need to talk about it. We need to express it and we can't be silent anymore. We have lost some people. Some people were more um, fundamentalist, I think, in their their interpretations. And I don't exactly know how they hung around, but they had hung around. But that was that was the great separator for them. And they were they were gone and they let me know. And I, I was I would try to um, argue with them or um, defend the position, thinking that I could maybe turn them to, to how I understood it. And I quickly learned that that's pretty much an impossibility that you just have to say we understand it differently and Godspeed. And so that was some that was some people. And then we had some who just over time began to I think it's that whole tribal thing. They belong to tribes that were not inclusive, and it was hard for them to get their arms around the fact that their church was fully inclusive. That was a learning for me, that that you're not just dealing with an individual. Oftentimes, it's the whole tribe. And if someone is immersed in a tribe that is anti-LGBT inclusion, it is almost impossible that that person will change. And so we, we begin to lose those people. And uh, it was a slow bleed, I guess, over, over the course of a year or two. Um, there was no big fight. There was no big, um, I, I think uh, that didn't happen for us, but there was just a sense of, yeah, this is not, this is not the kind of church that we want to go to. And so some people left and, and I think that was okay. When I think about the Grove, I am I'm blown away and I just think about the um, what it's going to mean in history for what the Grove is doing. I sometimes think about the fact that I'm in Atlanta and it's very urban and our congregation is very diverse and then I think about Bryson City, North Carolina little mountain town and I think about people like Jeff and Jody who experienced this um, change of understanding as it relates to the LGBT community and then over time had the courage to say this is what we believe and if we are going to lead this church we're going to lead this church in this direction I think it is heroic beyond anything that I know. I think that my job was much easier, again, because of proximity. And I think as it relates to one day when the history is written, I think we're gonna see people like Jeff and Jody and churches like The Grove, and people are going to say, my stars, that is amazing that where they were, they were able to be a little ahead of the curve in showing us what an inclusive, beautiful congregation could be. I'm, I'm blown away by what they do. You know, when I think about what is at stake with churches 
moving in this direction or digging in and not moving in this direction. I, re I remember this, it, it was probably 20, 2005, and um, my best friend's daughter was in flight attendant school and she came home from flight attendant school and she said, Dad, there's a guy in our class and he's gay and he's from Western Pennsylvania and he's in Atlanta all by himself. And my wife and I, when we heard this story, we said, we were just beginning to think about LGBT inclusion. We said, what? We got a big house. Why don't we let him come and live with us? And because uh, it's easy, it's easy when you don't have anybody that's really close to you to kind of stay on the party line. You can just kind of keep doing your thing, right? I invite this young man, his name is Rodney, into our house. Over time, we have adopted him unofficially, but adopted him into our family. He still lives in my house, but he's gay and he is a beautiful man. And suddenly it's Jane and I sitting at the table and we're hearing his story. And I had never had proximity like that to hear someone's story. And suddenly we had skin in the game. When I was in the suburbs and didn't really have anybody at my table that was gay and nobody was really pushing the point, I didn't have to really say anything. But suddenly with someone in my life that I cared about, I wanted a church that Rodney could come to. I wanted a church that he could bring his friends to, if his boyfriend to. I wanted a church like that. And uh, so for us, that was that was huge. That was a big part of the stakes. When we finally had skin in the game, we had to do what we've done. And I just wish that every church, I wish every pastor could meet and know somebody really, really well in the LGBT community, because that's all it takes. When you look across the table into someone's eyes and they are followers of Jesus and they are a gay man or a lesbian and you hear their story, and you know Christ lives in them, you, you think, how could we ever exclude them from the family? How could that ever happen? Stakes are high. We have an important role to play. We need courage to do what's right. When I first began to understand this, I thought, this is so clear. It is so obvious. And everybody's going to get this in a matter of a few years. That's what I thought. And this was way back in early 2000s. And I realized it doesn't work that way. And what I see happening is young people are leaving the church in droves because they have gay friends and they think, why are their gay friends being excluded for an orientation that they didn't ask for, just an orientation they were born with? I fear if the church doesn't get this, the church is going to become irrelevant to this generation. It's going to become irrelevant. And uh, yeah, I'm not saying it, it will go away forever, but it might die and have to be reborn, which for Christians is not the end of the story for us. But uh, I think if they don't get this right, if the church doesn't get this right, um, and what we have found too, we have found people who think they're getting it right by just being nice from the platform to gay people and not being ugly, not saying homophobic things. And yet still, if you ask them, will they, the staff, would you do our wedding? Absolutely not. Would you dedicate our ch child? Absolutely not. 
Can we lead a small group? Absolutely not. You pretty much are welcomed if you want to sit and give. But if you want to really be a fully functioning member of this family, you cannot. And I think it is the great disguise that some churches that are a little more contemporary, that's that's the big that's a, that's the big ripoff. That's the big um, we're going to sell this, but we actually mean this. And uh, I think it doesn't matter. Some people it won't matter until that day comes when they say, would you do my wedding since you're my pastor and you've meant so much to me for so long? And when the pastor says, no, I can't because I don't believe in that, I think they're going to just leave. And uh, this is big stuff. This is important. And I, I pray the church can get it right. And I think with churches like The Grove around the country, there are these little places where these types of churches are, are emerging. And uh, to me, they're the most beautiful churches in, in the world. I just wish their tribe would increase. I wish there could just be more churches that are getting it. But I'll just say for me, a long time ago, I realized that the Bible was about men's understanding of God and to try to make it a scientific book, to try to make it nuclear fission, to try to make it uh, sexual orientation when they understood nothing about what we understand as sexual orientation. The writers of the Bible understood nothing about sexual orientation the way we understand it today. Why in God's name would we think that we are going to listen to a writer 2,000 years ago who thought the earth was flat about sexual orientation that they didn't even understand as it relates to sexual orientation today? So for me, I read the Bible. It means the world to me. I love it. And I gain great wisdom from reading it, but I don't try to make it something it was never intended to be. It was never intended to be how we um, survey the planetary uh, universe. It was not about that. It was about people's understanding of God. And so when I see things like that, I think that there's a lot in the ancient world that meant something to them then. It is not applicable today. I think about Jesus, to me, one of the great, Verses in the Bible is when Jesus, the night of his betrayal, said to his disciples, there are so many things I want to tell you, but you couldn't understand it. But after the Spirit has come, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And so what I try to communicate is we read the Bible, we love the Bible, we learn from the Bible, but it's the Spirit of God that is leading us into these new areas where we are learning new things about individuals that needs to be a part of how our presentation is, is given to people and who we embrace. When I think about the clobber verses, and uh, I think there's like six, and I've read them, I've studied them, I've read commentators and what they say about them. Um, and, and you will find there are commentators who have a different understanding now than maybe what I was taught at seminary or what was the belief over the last hundreds of years. So that's encouraging for people who, who need that. And I don't put that down at all, but I'll just say for me, the writers of the Bible did not understand sexual orientation the way we do today. And so I'm not going to give much credence to that. Just like if I get cancer, I'm not gonna go look for verses to see what their medical decisions were 
2,000 years ago, that's not what really matters to me. I think about sometimes that mom, that dad, that uh, they're dealing with it in an up-close and personal way. One of their children maybe has come out to them or they feel they're about to come out to them. And yet they have all these years of, of teaching that they have sat under and they have heard their whole life, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And now suddenly they're to turn on a dime. How does that, how does that work? Well, my experience with dozens of families is it's not usually a turn on the dime kind of a thing. I will tell you, most of the families I've ever dealt with, they regretted if they didn't show extraordinary love to that family member that was coming out. Even if they didn't have all the pieces figured out in their mind, the, the people that have regretted how they handled it are the ones who withheld love. And can I tell you something? It's never right, never right to withhold love. So that's one thing. Don't withhold love. And the second thing, think back to all the things the church has been taught through the ages that we now say are wrong, right? Slavery is an example, right? I, I come from the South. I come from Georgia. We were taught it was right. We were taught that's what the Bible says. We could stand on that. And most all of the conservative Christians where I come from, that's what they believed. And now time has taken us down the way and we look back and we say, God, that was so wrong. But it took us a long time. So if I were you, I would love with everything you have. I would read everything you can. Find people that have a little farther down the path than maybe you are. And to just realize a lot of stuff that we've been taught it turned out to be wrong. And uh, this is going to be one of those things. This will be one of those things. When I think about the LGBT community and I think about the church, a couple of thoughts run through my mind. One is I get, I get the hurt and the pain that you have felt. I get it. It is wrong. I, uh, I've just sat in some services since this became conscientious to me. And I would hear preachers saying things that were kind of disparaging about the LGBT community. And I can see where you could just say, eh, to heck with it. But I want you to know that Jesus, the one we are supposed to follow, he is a beautiful man, a beautiful story about what God is like. And it takes people a little while to get it. But if you could just zone in on that story and you could find some churches that are inclusive churches, I'm telling you, they are the most beautiful places of grace you will find anywhere because everyone is loved. Everyone is embraced. Everyone is valued for who they are. That's the Jesus story. That's the God story. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You're Imago Dei. And so I would say to you, focus as best you can on Jesus. And uh, I, I know the people have hurt you. And for that, I am so sorry that people have hurt you in the name of God. And I just hope maybe you can find a church like the Grove where Jody and Jeff, you want to be loved, you want to experience love, you'd find it in a place like that, I guarantee you. I recognize 
over the last 15 years, our church has been on a little different path than maybe some other churches. And I can imagine some people may think, well, so we're going to have a, a gay church? Is that what you're saying? We were sitting around a table, several of our LGBT community, and we were getting ready for pride. We were thinking about how we were going to uh, um, have a tent and show up for pride in Atlanta. And I never will forget one of sweet girls in our church. She said, I've never wanted to be a part of a gay church. I've wanted to be a part of an everybody church. And it was so funny because one of the guys that was at the table, he immediately went home and looked up that URL, everybody church. And you would think that that was, had been taken a long time ago. We got it because we want to be an everybody church. And so it's not, people aren't becoming gay churches. They're becoming everybody churches. And don't you want to be an everybody church? I think that's been a huge learning for me. Another learning for me is some people will not get it. And, uh, you just have to love them and you just have to trust in time. Maybe something will happen in their family. Maybe someone close to them will come out to them. And then their whole way that they have been thinking will be challenged. But until then, we took our church once to a uh, Sunday night thing where a gay pastor was doing a gay Christian kind of a presentation. Wonderful. is fabulous. And afterward, we all went to a local restaurant to eat. And my wife saw one of her long-term friends who was on staff at a, at a conservative church. And my wife, she doesn't have quite the length of time that I have in, in a, a evangelical world, I guess. So she goes rushing to her friend and starts pouring out how wonderful it is that we've been at this gay thing and it was great to hear this pastor teaching and we're, we're inclusive of everybody and I'm watching her and I'm watching him and I promise you, they had been great friends for over 40 years and I promise you, he has not returned her call over the last 10 years. She has called and left messages and he does not return her call. So that's another learning. There are some people who will walk away from you and uh, that hurts a little, that, that does hurt, but they'll walk away because in their mind, they just can't get their, their mind around everybody. It's for everybody. I was uh, sitting in a restaurant with a lesbian that had started coming to our church. And this was when I was still, I was thinking about the Bible verses and the clobber verses and all that stuff. And this was a very wonderful, well-studied Christian. And I'm sitting across from her and I started asking her about the Romans 1 passage and she began to read it. And she said, that's not me. Big tears rolling down her face. She said, that's not me. I'm not a hater of God. I, I love God. My whole life I have loved God. And then I was crying. And then the waitress came over. She was crying. Everybody's crying. But it was true. It's like, yeah, that wasn't my friend. That verse was not about her. However you want to explain it, it was not about her. We just have some of the coolest couples here. And they're, they're just lovely. And, and now that we're down the road a ways, we can't even imagine what life was like. It's like what was so scary and so, um, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Now it's like, it is the most, 
it's, it's like breathing. And um, other than going to a Christmas program that my mother is a part of, I have a real hard time going to a place where my LGBT friends aren't fully included. And uh, I don't want to be a part of anything that they can't be a part of. Uh, it's not for me. And uh, when I think about a church that maybe is sitting on the fence and maybe there is a group of people or maybe a pastor who is feeling maybe this is the courageous thing to do. Maybe it's to take a stand for a marginalized group that has been basically kept out of church. And maybe this is what needs to happen. You're on the fence. Can I tell you something? We don't get a lot of chances to do really courageous things. You know, when you think about it, our culture is a Christian culture, we, for the most part. But this is courageous. This is saying that those people who are kept out deserve a seat at the Lord's table. And how many people ever get a chance to have that fight, to be able to say they matter, they matter. I know that I had been a uh, evangelical pastor. You know, it's, it's, it's great, able to be with people in good times, bad times, hopefully teach some things that are helpful along the way. But I'd never done one thing courageous ever, ever. And uh, when I first started thinking about going public with LGBT inclusion, um, I was afraid. I thought, what if all the donors leave? What am I gonna do? What, what, how do I get a job? And uh, I wrestled with that. And then I, I thought it through and I thought, Ray, when have you ever really been given an opportunity to, to be courageous, to do something that really feels like a God thing, doesn't it? To leave the 99 and go after the one or to stand with the marginalized the way Jesus did. I decided that that's what I wanted. I couldn't live with myself any other way, actually. I could not live with myself any other way. If I was gonna to have to be in church that was not inclusive, I could not live with myself. I had, to, I had to take a stand. And I hope you'll sense that if you're in a church that's on the fence. Take a stand, embrace. And you know what? I don't think we're wrong, but if we were wrong, I would rather die embracing more people, reaching out to more people, offering hope to more people. If that's some horrible, cardinal, terrible thing, so be it. Feels to me like it's the God path and it's the path that some of the most courageous people I've ever met are on. And, uh, I hope you'll be on the path too. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the show. This particular series, Stories from the Grove, is a more in-depth look at some of the stories that are featured in our full-length documentary, The Grove. Hey, and guess what? We've got a documentary release date. The Grove full-length documentary will be available to watch starting Easter Day, April 9th. So where can you watch it? I'm glad you asked. It's going to stream on Reverie, that's R-E-V-R-Y, Reverie, as well as all Roku, Samsung devices. And then a couple months later, it's also going to be available to watch on Peacock and Tubi. Once we know the official release dates on those two platforms, we'll definitely share an update with you here so that you can watch. So once again, 
The Grove documentary, it releases officially April 9th on Reverie and all Roku Samsung devices. Now, if you want to see what we're up to at Story Preserve, you can check us out on our YouTube channel or find us on social media like Instagram or TikTok. Just search Story Preserve. And if you're new to the podcast, we would love for you to like, subscribe, follow us, tell a friend, who knows, maybe even leave a comment because we'd love to know what you think. So let me leave you with this. At Story Preserve, we want you to ask yourself, what story do I want to tell with my life? Maybe we can help you with that because we would love to help you articulate your story. Just go to our website, click the contact button. You can find us at storypreserve.org.